This episode's guest is Damon Shaw, analyst of the Solomon Lions of the Futsal World Cup and a top Futsal coach with much experience abroad. Thank you very much for coming on. Where are you currently? I'm in Lithuania, Kaunas, just just uh, right in the middle of the World Cup. World Cup? What World Cup is that? Futsal World Cup, of course, sorry. <laughs> and what team are you there with? Um, so I came here as performance analysis with the Solomon Islands. Now they've gone home because the tournament ended after the group stage. Um, but my flight's booked for tomorrow, so I'm staying staying a little bit longer to catch some games, uh, meet some people, and enjoy the city a bit. There's a lot of really, really interesting things here, and I'm going to go and try and pull on as many of these threads as I can. How did you end up getting a role with the Solomon Islands? Do you want the story from the beginning, or...? Oh, yes, please. Like from the start of when I got into futsal, or is that coming later? Well, if, uh, <laughs> you might as well start there and, and tell us how you ended up here. If it's all interlinked in that same journey, then go for it. Um, yeah, because you said you were going to ask me about how I got into it in the first place, so we might as well start there. I'll try and keep it succinct. Is that, I've never used that word before. It's the right I'll word. try and keep it short. Um, no, I, I started in futsal at uni. Um, I set up Teesside Uni. Loved it, fell in love with the game straight away. Um, quickly realised that I wasn't a player. Um, I played in the first few games for the team and quickly the players that joined overtook me. Um, maybe they were never ahead of me. Maybe they, ne maybe they were never behind me. But um, yeah, so I, I thought, well, I'm not going to be a top player. And everything I've ever done, I've always wanted to be the best. You know, reach world-class level. That's always been my aim. Um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to dedicate myself to coaching. I'm 21. I can, you know, if I start coaching at 21, I've got plenty of time to to reach the top. So that's that's how I got into it, and that's how I decided to take on the journey of being a coach. Um, so yeah, at Teesside Uni, I was there for eight years at the at the club alongside Middlesbrough, which sort of was born out of Teesside Uni. Um, and yeah, the first thing I got into, I, I saw a league advertised in the local, it might have been a newspaper back then or a magazine before we had, you know, everyone had internet. I didn't go to, when I went to uni, we didn't have, I didn't take a computer with me or a mobile phone. So it must have been a newspaper. Um, and I saw this futsal league and I was like, oh, let's get my five-a-side team together and go and enter it. The league didn't happen, but I just, I discovered this sport and I looked more into it. And, and yeah, that's, that's where it all started. Fast forward, well, when I started, I quickly realised that I'd need to go abroad to, to further my knowledge. And so I was torn a bit at the end of my time in Middlesbrough. I was like, I wanted to build a club in, you know, in that local community. And we, we were already near the top. We were one of the top four or five teams regularly competing in, in the finals. Um. Or do I go abroad and get that knowledge and broaden my horizons? So I was I was torn. Um, I made the decision to go to Spain. Took there, got involved with some some good teams and did my coaching badges. Um, and that's really where I started to, I think, properly develop as a coach. In England, I guess I was just winging it. I was turning up for sessions without a plan. I was, yeah, I was reading books and watching videos and talking to people. But it, only when I moved to Spain did I really start to. You know, really understand futsal and what it was because in in Spain, if you talk about futsal as a development tool for football, which is huge in in England and other countries, they laugh at you. They're like, "No, futsal is its own thing. Futsal is purely its own thing in Spain." So that really opened my eyes to to what futsal really is. And then from Spain, just having that experience there and doing my coaching courses, and that got me a role in back in England at Tramia, where I was there for a couple of years. Um, built a club up from from scratch and fairly successful with the academy. Um, we had the senior team in the Super League as well, but um, after a couple of seasons, for them it wasn't as successful as they wanted. I think it was about the money and 
Um, I moved on, but then I got the chance to go to Malta. I was there for 18 months. After Malta, I went to Malaysia. And each time it was a step up. So Tramia was amateur, with amateur players, training twice a week. Um, Malta was semi-pro. We had three or four foreign professionals. And all the local players were paid a little bit. And we were training four or five times a week. And then Malaysia, it was fully pro. So I had a full professional coaching staff, um, 25 players that were all on full-time contracts. So in Malaysia, we could really work as a professional team, training twice a day, um, proper recovery, gym sessions, meetings with my staff whenever whenever needed. You know, it was, it was a full-on professional team. And unfortunately, we did pre-season, which was an amazing experience, but then... Um, then COVID hit and, you know, a few months after COVID had been around, then they decided to cancel the league and, um, and yeah, that ended my journey in Malaysia. I mean, I stayed there for a bit longer um, enjoyed the country a bit and from my, my whole COVID experience was mostly by the beach. So I can, I was quite lucky, I guess, with, with the whole situation of, of COVID, but yeah, it, it meant I didn't get to finish the job I went to do in Malaysia. Um, but that opened the door to come to Poland, um, where I'm going to be working next season. And because, because I was talking to the Solomon Islands coach to take players to Malaysia to help them develop and get the get match ready for the World Cup, um, we were in touch. When I moved to Poland, he's like, oh, what about we come and play some friendly next um, so, And then hit Australia quite couldn't do their plan training camp in Australia it was meant to be two months so the coach called me and said Damon we're stuck we don't have anywhere to train can we take them to Poland um, for the whole of August to do a training camp um, he said he can't come until the end of August would you do some coaching for me Look, help help the local coaches out a bit so I said yes um, hosted the Solomon Islands in, in Poland and just while I was there I, I got into the team and um you know, became part of the family and it really was it really was a family that the, the the people the, the stories behind the players it's you know, it's something else and they're doing a documentary about it actually so i won't i won't go too much into their stories because it'll it'll all come out but um and yeah and then while i was there the coach arrived and he said look we want you to come to the world cup you've, you've been really helpful for us doing the analysis and some coaching we'd, we'd love you to come and and yeah, that's that's how I ended up at a World Cup. An English guy at a World Cup, I think it's a first. That is brilliant. Now, from a point of view of going abroad, which country have you liked working and living in the most and why? You say working and living in? Or both if there's two different answers. Um, I love my time in Spain. It was my first experience living abroad. Um, I love the culture, I love the food, the weather, every, and Barcelona is such an amazing city. I, I loved it there, and futsal is a huge part of their, their culture. Um, I'm looking forward to living in Poland. I'll be, I'll be in a city which is, is quite, um, quite lively, quite, quite a lot going on, which is a big contrast to when I was in Malaysia, where I lived was quite far out. Uh, it wasn't the capital, it was... A small town called Ipoh, but even then I lived 20 minutes outside the town, so I was quite isolated. Um, but once I travelled around Malaysia, that, you know, for travelling Malaysia is unreal. It's so beautiful. The weather's nice. They've got amazing beaches, islands. So uh, it's really hard to say. It's really hard to say. Um, I've enjoyed every moment of of where where I've lived, and but for the work for the working working side of it, Malaysia because it was fully pro. Um, we had all the conditions to be a successful team, just unfortunately COVID hit. At the Futsal World Cup, you'll often see a lot of nations that aren't that prominent in the Football World Cup. So why is it that we're likely to see uh, Solomon and Islands on the world stage and we see Guatemala doing all right and Panama, Kazakhstan? Why is it we see them make appearances at Futsal World Cup, but we don't see them, well, apart from maybe Panama, anywhere near the football world cup so i think thailand's a good example um thailand really invested in futsal and it's now become more popular than football 
they get more fans, they've got more players playing it, and they've got facilities all around the country. It's just it's so popular over there. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's it's almost as well. I think success breeds success, and these countries have a bit of success on the world stage because maybe their neighbouring countries aren't quite so um, developed. Um, and that then, yeah, that then breeds more success and more people want to play and the Federation back it. Um, like the Solomon Islands, for example, they, in Oceania, there wasn't much competition. So they got to the first World Cup um, in 2008, I think it was their first appearance. And being on that world stage really inspired the nation and the, the people, the population of the Solomon Islands, they absolutely love, they, they love this team. They're, they're like superstars back home. And they all stop what they're doing to watch all the matches and seeing them on the world stage fighting, not getting many great results. Um, but just seeing them there and competing with the best teams in the world, it's it's really sort of inspired the nation. And then the Federation back it because it's they've already been successful, so now they want to continue that success. Um, you know, now they're talking, they're building and they're building their own arena now, so they've got proper facilities to train in. Um, because New Zealand are catching up. So they're waking up and starting to invest. And if Solomon's aren't careful, then New Zealand will qualify for the next World Cup and not Solomon. So yeah, I think I think that's what happens. I think maybe a bit of early success, then sort of snowballs and and you know, these teams can get to World Cups where where the likes of England and France and Germany aren't, because we've been more focused on football historically and Sells a, an extra, a bit of a thorn in the side, maybe for the federations, but um, to yeah. So the, the big nations don't, they're not in it straight away, um, and there's a there's a gap. It's a gap for the less developed nations to to get through. Could it potentially be a reason of like demographics that Futsal would take off? Because I can imagine I've never been to to Thailand, so I haven't seen Bangkok, but it always through movies and TV and through pictures looks like it's incredibly densely populated with not a much open space. So it seems like Futsal would naturally breed there way more than football because it's very hard to get yourself a, a decent grass 11 a side pitch in a place like that. Whereas there will be lots of smaller areas where a game of Futsal could break out. Is there any, anything behind that or am I just talking utter bollocks? Um, let me speak about Malaysia because I've only visited Thailand once or twice for holidays. So, um, in, in Malaysia, there's loads of football pitches, but they are they're mostly 3G. Um, but people play both. People play futsal and football. Um, but yeah, they, they, they just love it. It's the, the, what you can do in Malaysia that you can't do in England is have open air, open air pitches. Um, if you try that in England... So you can't play futsal in the rain with with the surfaces we're talking about, like the plastic or, or rubber. It's dangerous. So in England, it's got to be indoor. It's got to be enclosed. Whereas in, in Malaysia, most, most of the courts, they're, they're open. They've got a roof, um, but they're open at the sides and you know, quite, quite abundant. There's loads of them. Um, drive for five minutes and there's a new futsal court. So it, it's just, it's really taken off. And it looks like they're quite cheap to build. Um, with it being sort of just a laying a laying a court, putting some goals, and then in a sheet roof over the top. So that's that's probably one reason why it's developed quite quickly in the in the cities over in in Asia. Uh, in a country like Spain, uh, well, they're football crazy just like we are in England, but they're also very very big into their futsal. They take it very seriously. Professional leagues that. Uh, the national team is amazing, whereas we still view futsal in England much like uh, it's something for kids to do when it gets a bit cold. It's a bit of fun that can uh, help them with their football. So why is it that in Spain and in a few other countries that are big football nations that they've really taken to futsal? About 30 years ago in Spain, they imported a lot of Brazilians. Um, not like on boats or anything, not, nothing sinister like that. 
Um, but a lot of Brazilians, a lot of foreigners came over to coach and play in the National League. Um, and they came together and they formed the National League. They had a few wealthy backers and they made sure it got on TV and made it made it a big thing. And and that's what kickstarted kick it in Spain. And they all they have facilities. Every school has a futsal court, whether it's indoor or outdoor. Um, where, whereas in England, we have small sports halls, which are suitable for netball um, or basketball sized. And we play a lot of five-a-side. And in Spain, they don't have five-a-side. They have, it, it's futsal. If you, if you want to go and play small-sided football, it is futsal. And it's been like that for, for a long time. So the fact that they had a national league, they've all got the, the courts in the schools. Um, Federation run the leagues from six, seven, eight years old. And they see the they see the stars on TV, and they they want to be like them. They want to be futsal players. It's you know the con. I compare it a lot to like I don't know you if you like basketball, you look at a basketball player, you want to play basketball. It's it's like that with futsal in Spain and in other countries. They they I want, I want to be a futsal player. And most of the kids I met, and a lot of Spanish people that I've met, they've never played football. The futsal players. Um, so I've coached a lot of Spanish people. And they've never played football. Maybe they've had a game of 11 aside with the mates, but they've rarely, rarely played played football and certainly not joined a team or, or played in a league or anything. You can see we're a long way off that, can't you? Without any uh, kind of national representation, you know, without even national teams recently, if kids can't see it, how can they dream it? How can they believe it? Yeah. So we're not doing a lot really to inspire that next generation or to, to get them in. And I think the way that you refer to it uh, or the way that you, you see it, you, you're going to pass that down onto others, aren't you? So if, if we've got coaches, leagues and people involved in the governance of the game treating futsal as like a side project, it's, a, it's an extra, it's something fun to do, it will be given that status in the hearts and minds of people. Much like in school, how PE should be another subject with the same weight as English, math, science, but it's seen as a DOS. I think futsal's got that same reputation here. And I don't see any short-term fixes to that. I can see people trying to make progress. There are independent clubs or independent leagues. We've got the TV deal coming up. <clears throat> but I still think it's going to take a long, long time to change that that mindset of it being a supplement rather than being uh, being its sport in, in its own right. And so you've seen a lot of countries that have got it right, a lot of countries that are doing better than us. How do we start to grow futsal and take it seriously in England? I think, and it only came out yesterday, this the news about the TV deal, I think that will help change a lot of people's opinions about what it is. And they'll see it on TV, the kids will watch it, and they'll be like, I want to be that. I want to do that. I think this is, I think it's big. Bigger than even what people, people are saying it's a big thing. I, I just don't think they realise how big it is for the sport to be, on, to be on national TV. And hopefully it'll make the current clubs and players more serious, as in training three, four times a week. Um, maybe finding sponsors and becoming semi-pro, that sort of level, maybe in the first year or two. But I think long-term it'll, help the kids and people see what futsal really is on a on a on a big level on a big stage so I think a lot of the clubs were doing great anyway you know I'll, I always look at Bolton because it's local to me as a great example and they've got kids in their academy that aspire to play for their senior team um not it was never on tv but they created that atmosphere around the club where the the first team was obviously where the kids dream of playing in the National League. And that's 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 made by, you know, the guys like Mick at the club and Stuart who who sort of, you know, pass that message on to the kids, pass pass that excitement, that passion onto the kids and and sell it, sell the dream. Now it's on TV, it's just gonna give that an extra, 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 extra push. And at Trammy we had it as well. We had kids in the academy coming to watch the first team play idolising over the first team players, getting photos with them, getting their autographs, that sort of stuff. And um, and yeah, I think I think the clubs are doing a lot of good work to make 
to make futsal grow. But now that it's on TV, I think it's going to just underpin all that work and give it give every club a big boost. Where do you see the, the growth coming in the next few years here? What, what areas are we going to suddenly start becoming more serious in? Are we going to see more independent clubs? Are we going to see, because looking at some of the clubs in the league, there's quite a few that have links with professional football clubs. Like uh, there's a Chelsea Foundation, I think Sunderland are involved. Uh, <clears throat> so what do you think, uh, what's a better pathway and what do you think we're likely to do? Uh, it's a very, very big question. I'm asking you to look in a crystal ball there, but you've got a lot of uh, knowledge and insight into this area. So I'm asking for a couple of predictions if you got them. I think we'll see a lot of new clubs, a lot of people aspiring to to get into that national league and be on TV, you know, it's a dream for any anyone that's involved in sports to play on TV. So, one one of the reasons I set up the club at, at Teesside and Middlesbrough, you know, you, you want to be playing at the top, you want to be seen, you want to be on TV, and you know we always strive for that, we always hope for that. Um, but we were ten years too early, I guess. Um, so I think we'll see a lot of new clubs, which will further build the foundations and build the playing pool. Hopefully these clubs will build academies because I think that's the only way you can be sustainable, um, which will just improve the playing pool of kids. And yeah, I, just, I think that's, that's going to be the biggest growth area. New clubs, new people getting involved, um, growing the game. And I think we might, see, we might see some professional clubs, football clubs, look at the league and say, oh, it's on TV now. Let's get involved, you know. Teams that are in the women's super league, they maybe Man United, for example. Um, it's a long shot and they took a while to get involved in women's, but once women's football got to a certain level, they were like, Okay, we want in that now. And I can see football clubs maybe maybe not Premier League straight away, but certainly clubs that have got a bit of futsal history or links to futsal it like Chelsea, they might be like, All right, we're we're not far off. We can put a little bit of money into this project and we could be in the National League, we could be in the Champions League, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, th I think this TV deal is going to attract a lot of people from all areas, from new clubs starting up in the local village to professional football clubs maybe jumping on board. Hopefully it starts a, a national pyramid as well because uh, down here there's really not a whole lot going on. Uh, I think there's been a, a couple summer leagues over the years but nothing has been <clears throat> long-term sustainable yeah. that, that's so important as well there's there needs to be opportunity for everyone to play year-round not not during the summer necessarily but ev everyone that wants to play needs to be able to play in a competition from september through to june regular matches regular training and i'm talking junior level and um just amateur level as well so if you want to set up a team you've got somewhere to start not just in a league that runs for six weeks you need somewhere to start that's you know a pathway into the third tier second tier and eventually national and that'll motivate a lot of people to to get involved and start clubs and um it's just a real shame that the national team got taken away last year because that would have been the icing on the cake for for what's happening now if your own professional ambitions, is an uh, England national team somewhere you'd consider and somewhere you are aspiring for? Yeah, being English and being a futsal coach, that's my dream job. That and Man United. Um, but also it's a, long, it's a long way off, especially with it being taken away now. Any national team that comes back would almost be starting from scratch. Um, Hopefully it's just taking a break and in four or five years, luckily the league's going from strength to strength, so people might not drop out um, totally. Um, but yeah, professionally that, that will be my dream job, to, to coach England, get them to a World Cup um, and be here in this environment with, with my own country. Of course, that would be a dream come true. So let's talk a bit more about the World Cup we are now. Firstly, as a culture, uh, most people probably couldn't even locate the Solomon Islands on the map. So where are they and what are the people like there? What are their values? What are their traditions and their ideas? So it's just north of Australia. 
Um, it's on this, well, it's got 900 islands, I think. I mean, 99 islands. So a lot, it's got it's a, a lot of greeny, islands. That's a lot of islands. They don't need that many, do they? Um, you could send some over to the UK. We've got a fair few of our own, haven't we? Um, yeah, but it's a lot of islands. It's just above Australia. Um, they play in the Oceania Federation. And it's, from what I gather, because I've not been there, um, it's quite a poor country. Um, a lot of unemployment. But the people, the players that were here, they're, they're so happy. They're so humble. So thankful for this opportunity to you know and i'm talking extremes here the opportunity to be able to sleep in a bed some of the some of the players don't have that luxury in where they live um some of them have to choose between lunch and dinner so you know you can understand how delighted they are to be at a fifa world cup where where they've got those those luxuries we say but um for, for most people there you know we, we have that every day but um yeah they're they're so passionate they're so they're just they're, they're amazing people i've not met a group of people as as, as good as these guys they're just they're, yeah they're like family now um they took me in they you know they're so, they were so thankful for the the work i did and and yeah they just they they made everyone that came into their path just feel feel happy and joyful and this after each game and each morning and every evening they're they're singing and they're, yeah they're, they're just really incredible people um and so many people have reached out to me from the soul mounds on, on my facebook just saying thanks for all the work you've done with the team and um you know, just from watching watching the, the clips on on the internet and facebook and stuff and yeah they're, they're just really incredible people that come from nothing and they're so happy to be in this environment in the World Cup. Those, those feelings are a lot better than any trophy you can win because you know, the game is about human connection, isn't it? First and foremost, we take part because of how it makes us feel, how we can interact with others and the journeys that we can go on. And so that, yeah, as it seems, you quite clearly have been touched by this entire experience. Is it one you can do again with them? Hopefully, yeah. Um, they've they've all said like we want you to carry on with this with this journey with us, and um, the coach has said I'm part of the team. And you, you don't know what the plan is next for the federation, but they've got the Pacific Games in 2023, um, and then the qualifiers for the 2024 World Cup. So um, I, yeah, I'd love to stay involved. If if they ask me, I'd do it at the drop of a hat. I wouldn't wouldn't think twice about it you know um to to be part of the world cup and repeat that and go on the full journey with them maybe go to the training camps in solomon islands and go to the pacific games which they're hosting in solomon islands would be would be incredible so um there's nothing official but they've indicated that yeah they'd want me to carry on and of course i i do that at drop of not only am i jealous of the role but i'm also very jealous of the travel that sounds Brilliant from so many different aspects. Uh, so at this World Cup, you uh, were a performance analyst, is that right? Yeah. Um, so what would your yeah go on? Well, generally helping out with with the coaching, with um, managing the team, and when I say managing the team, like or helping organise the schedule and stuff like that. You know, little little things that. So I've been at a few of these events before. Um, I've been a team liaison officer at the Champions League for, for the English team that was playing the elite round there and um, I've been to a couple of Champions Leagues as a coach so I'm, I've got a bit of experience in these environments so where they were lacking in little things like scheduling and you know liaising with FIFA and stuff I helped out a little bit with that but my official role was performance analysis and analyst analysis performance <laughs> analyst so what has your day-to-day -day been like for them? Busy. Working with video is time-consuming. Um, so I definitely put the hours in. It was... So on a... On a day, let's... On, on the match day, we'd look at the opposition. Um, maybe after breakfast. So the, the whole day before, I'd be finding videos and 
cutting out the videos that I've got of um, of Morocco, for example, um, finding how they play, looking at patterns, seeing if there's any weaknesses, just preparing the players a little bit for what they might encounter the next day, and then trying to squeeze that into a 20-minute, 30-minute video to show them after breakfast. Um, and then my job's done, pretty much. You know, then you're just around the team and you know, making sure they're, they're ready, they've got everything they need. During the game, I was taking down the stats, minutes played, possessions lost, and balls won, shots, things like that. Um, not sure how useful it was for the coach at the time. It, you know, it's just if anything stands out, like, for example, just one, one player, he's given the ball away in, a lot in a five-minute period. So, you know, I, I brought that up to the coach and, um, you know, then we can just speak to the player, say, look, just calm down a bit. Next time you go on, try and do a few simple things. You're giving the ball away a lot. Get your confidence back. You know, just little things like that that might make a difference to the player. They might not. Um, and then after the game, normally download the video of that game we just played and try and look at what we need to correct and what we did well to show the players the next day. And then the, the cycle repeats. So it was quite, yeah, quite intensive, quite time-consuming because... You know, to watch one game back, it takes a couple of hours when you're looking at, at the details and cutting up clips and stuff and then putting it all together. But um, I, I really enjoyed it. You really get to know the players. And even though I'm going to a third division team in Poland, it's going to be something I'll be doing quite a lot. Just, you know, with, with only training twice a week, we're going to need to use every extra bit of time we can and way we can to, to get to know them. So, so yeah, that was my my day-to-day -day with the team. Um, quite intense, but very enjoyable. So who is the club in Poland? What are they called? And what, what's the city you're going to be in? It's Wrocław, or Rocklaw, if you want to pronounce it like an Englishman. Um, and the club is called Shlonsk, Shlonsk Wrocław. So, um, yeah, they're, they're a football club that's quite, quite big. Um, they were in the conference, Europa Conference League this season. They, they didn't make it through to the groups, but um, quite a big football club in terms of Polish football, which isn't massive. Um, and yeah, they've now got a futsal section, which um, we're hoping two or three years we can get to the extra classer. Um, and I think once we get there, we'll be a, an important club in Poland. So when I went to Poland for a week, 2013, I was amazed at the level of English spoken. Is it the same where you are and will you be taking any Polish classes? Um, it's a mix. So we've got a few foreign players as well. We've got a couple from Czech Republic who speak English and not Polish. Um, we've got one Uruguayan player come in for his fifth stint with me um, and he speaks English and Spanish. So. We'll probably use English in the dressing room as, as a general language and the, most of the Polish players do speak English. Yes, I want to learn Polish. I need to know more than what I know at the minute because telling my players they're beautiful and they've got beautiful eyes isn't really going to help. Stuff I learned from my, my girlfriend back in 2016. No, 2006. Long time ago. Um, How do you remember that? <laughs> Testament to your memory there, mate. So... So yeah, I do want to learn Polish. I love learning languages. You know, I love traveling as much as the next person, and but I do love to learn the local language. And um, I think that'll that'll help with the building relationships with the players, which I think is going to be key to to any success as a coach. You, you need to really get to know the players and what makes them tick. And learning their language, I think, will go a long way to building that relationship. Sometimes, if you're willing to. Even if your, your, your attempts are bad, you just make an arse of yourself in front of the players. They really appreciate that you're trying. And they also, it, it starts to break down some of the walls uh, between you're an outsider who can't relate to them or their culture. Or well, now you're giving it a go. And so they, they see a lot of, of, it's like giving you a lot of credibility and a lot of thanks for that. So you, I know that you can speak Spanish quite well. What else have you picked up over the years? Um... I can understand Portuguese more or less, and that's the language I, I really want to learn. Especially being around this World Cup now, there's so many Brazilian coaches that I would love to be able to 
properly speak to in in their language. Um, I Malaysian, so they call it Bahasa. Um, I picked up a little bit. It's a very easy language to learn, but because we finished six weeks into the into the season, I didn't have it on a day to day basis. So, um, yeah, I got I got a little bit, but yeah, I would I would love to be back there and properly learn the language again because um, yeah, it's a nice language and it's beginning it's in Indonesia and Malaysia, so it's quite useful. Um, and that's it. I know French and German from school, but very out of practice. Um, I'm Polish. I'm going to add to my my repertoire, hopefully. Um, but it's really tough. Polish is a very tough language. They have about a thousand different tenses for one verb. So, wish me luck. Yeah, I've seen. I'm just trying to read road signs and shop windows and things like that. I think that your your attempt at pronouncing it is nowhere near. How it's supposed to sound. Got to be careful in case you say something silly and offend people with it. But it is amazing how the prevalence of the English language, even in a sport that we're not that serious in, in a sport where there's not a whole lot of English involvement, it still seems to be the default language across the world. And that's very, very lucky from the point of view of any British coaches who want to go and work abroad, but at the same time, we can't be lazy. Uh, we we have to be, well, just like we expect from our players, constantly seeking that knowledge to to better ourselves. And also, from the point of view of being a coach, you want to be able to relate to your players better. So they might be sharing a story or a joke after practice in their own language, and you're left out of that. And <clears throat> it's not the end of the world, but it does start to to chip away at relationships over time. So, uh, full credit to you for picking up so much over the years. What's your role? Uh, I'm not going to say the club. What's your role in Poland going to entail? Um, so I've been head coach. Um, they're a new club. They started last year and they've got big ambitions to get to the top. So they realised that they need a coach to do that. So, yeah, my, my job is to get the team up, basically, um, but also put in the foundation and the structure Um to make sure we've got long-term success, um, you know, built into the club. So they've started an academy already. Um, I'll be doing some coaching in that. I don't want to be coaching four, five-year-olds. It's not, it's not my, it's not my passion. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly be helping and putting in the structures in place. We, we've also got under 17s, under 15s, under 13s competitions to enter. Um, those teams I would like to coach because um, they're the players that will be ready for the first team very quickly. So, um, yeah, it'll be a, a wide role. Certainly the first year with, with us being amateur or semi-pro, let's say, um, and only training two or three times a week. I'll have time to do the other coaching. Um, but I think as, as time goes on, we'll, we'll get other coaches to take on the junior teams and I'll oversee the, the sort of coaching structure and developing the coaches. Um, while also coaching the first team. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Quite a global role, um, but with specific objectives to to be successful, basically. So let's come out, take a wider scope here, and look at if you were to describe Futsal to a complete novice. So forgetting the rules, because that's not that hard to pick up. But in terms of tactics, how is there much tactics? You've only got four players on the court plus your goalie. So is it a free-for-all? Is it structured? Are there lots of different types of plays? Is it more like, uh, like say, NFL, where you get special teams come on for different parts of the game? What's <laughs> a bit of a broad question, but uh, I'm going to just drop that grenade with you and see if you can try your best with it. Yeah, so the NFL... The NFL comparison's quite good. You you have certainly kickers. So if you've got if you get a free kick or a penalty, you'll normally bring on a specialist because um, it's rotating subs. So put him on for a second, take him off for a second, which is a nightmare for when I'm doing the minutes and doing tracking the subs on the app. Player coming on, going taking a shot and coming off. It's quite annoying to do. But um, 
you know, and if if you're playing power play, you've got an, you normally have a, a set five plays that you use for for attacking the power play. Um, so that's when you take off your goalie, put someone in a goalie shirt, and you go yep. all five of your players in their half. Yeah, so fly goalkeeper we say in English actually, not power play. Um, you, yeah, you normally have five plays that you've set up to do that. Same with defending it, you'll have four plays in your goalkeeper that are your specialist defending it. Um, and also, also like NFL, you've got a lot of plays, um, not quite as structured or robotic. I don't know much about NFL, so I don't know if that's the right word, the right words to use, but, um, you, you, we've got a lot of plays. So, you know, for different situations, not just free kicks, but certainly from the goalkeeper or if you're under pressure, your players will be taught movements. Um, you don't want them to be robotic, so you, you, you know, try to do keep it free flowing. But um, the basis of a lot of teams is prefabricated movements. So, so yeah, in that sense, it's a bit like can be a bit like NFL. Probably more like basketball, though, to be honest. Tactically, that's probably the most similar sport I've seen. Um, you know, with the plays and the concepts of two v twos, two man plays. They call it in in basketball, I think. Um, so, you know, all, all the same sort of things you get in NBA, like the screens, the blocks, the pick and roll, I think they call it in basketball. Um, we use them in futsal as well. So, yeah, with even though it's only got four players and a goalkeeper, as a coach, you're probably more involved than in the 11-a-side game, certainly as a, in, in the moment, in the game, and the subs are rolling. So, you know, if something's not working you can talk to your players that are about to go on and change something and then put them on. Um, so yeah, as, as a coach, you're very active. You can't, you can't really sit down and, and take in the game and make notes and come back to it. No, you've, you've got to be in the game. Um, but yeah, in terms of formations, obviously there's not as many as, as in football, it's four players. So you know, you're looking at two or three formations, four, zero, three, one, or two, two are the, are the, the common ones. So, um, but then it comes down a lot to concepts rather than actual formations. You know, a team that looks like they're playing 4-0 might play with the same concepts as a team that plays 3-1. So, um, so yeah, it's very tactically interesting. And as a coach, I love it. It's, it really gets you thinking and really keeps you, keeps you involved and active. I think like in, in football, you can see lots of different shapes occurring from the same team, even within the same half, because it's essentially it's a solution to a problem and I think it might have been Guardiola or someone like that a few years ago said formations in football are what you put onto you it's just for the viewers to understand we're not actually going to play that so you see when Man City attack the opposition are, are defending on the edge of their box and Man City are trying to probe into the final third they'll play like a two three five and yeah. yet they've never said that at the front you never see like Gary Neville explaining that Man City are playing a two-three-five, but it's an in-game shape that occurs, and um, football tends to be very, very fluid with that. And it's you make this shape based on what you see to solve the problem that has been posed to you. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's spot on. You you could, and this I think this plagued English coaches for a while. Um, you'd watch high-level futsal, and you'd see the team in a diamond shape in defence. So English coaches said, right, okay, that's how we're going to defend. We're going to defend in a diamond. But then they didn't understand why. And you had teams defending in a diamond on the court, but not, not reacting to what the opponents were doing. So you come up against a team that's in a diamond and you just put two players in a square outside of them and the team didn't know what to do. And I think that just comes from watching a team and thinking, oh yeah, they're, they're in a diamond shape. So we're going to copy that and use it. And not really understanding the the underlying principles and um, yeah, so it is it is more based on principles than formations. When my very very limited viewing experience of, of high level futsal, mostly from watching World Cups and Euros and <clears throat> going through the highlights several times on YouTube, that uh, when a team defends the diamond, they often seem very, very susceptible to diagonal balls to the far post for a third man run for a tap-in. Because they've, it's like, it seems like they're trying to lock on man for man. 
but someone somewhere gets their job wrong or likes to play escape on on their blind side and they sneak in and up far post yeah the it's going to be very interesting here in England. We said before, uh, before we hit record, the level of knowledge in this country. And I'm totally including myself in this, by the way. I'm not trying to make out like I know anyone, everyone else. I am, uh, I am winging it as much as everybody else is in this country at the minute. It does seem like the level of ideas is going to be quite low from most people. That it won't take too much knowledge or research or experience to get that little bit ahead, particularly where the game is so underdeveloped in England that we have a lot of intellectual space that we can advance into. We're, we're very, very underdeveloped in that sense. Yeah, what was the question? <laughs> I'm just, just rambling, really, but I'm trying to think, what, what can we do over here to, to increase our our knowledge and our understanding because there's there's been a lack of FA courses uh, mainly due to COVID in the last year and a half but there, there seems to be a complete lack of interest too so I'm not convinced there's going to be that many running throughout the year I, I did the futsal level one a long long time ago so I don't know how much it has progressed and developed over time I don't know if it aligns with the FA levels one two and three I'm not sure if the course is about filling your head with basic drills to take back to your club, or is it going to be how to coach, or will there be any kind of uh, futsal tactics in there? Because I remember level one in football, no tactics whatsoever, just basic games. Level one in futsal, again, no tactics, just basic games. Where will we be able to fill in the gaps in our futsal knowledge in this country? So one of the big things I noticed, a big difference between the English coaching course and the Spanish, in England we were given a book with 18 games in and told how to run these games, these, these drills, these sessions. In Spain, they told us all about the how to design a session, characteristics of players, talked about all the different tactics. They didn't give us one drill in the whole course. Um, but by the end of the course, we had to design our own sessions and deliver them. So they gave us the under, underlying knowledge rather than giving the um, the answers, basically. And I think that's I don't know I don't know about now because I've not done the UA for B in England. I did it in Spain. Um, so I don't know what the course is like now. But from 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 my experience in the past, that could be a problem where we're just copy and pasting exercises and putting it on, on the court and like I said before copying and pasting what we see on TV the formations without knowing the underlying principles and um, the answers I think is self-development we've got a lot of there's a lot of courses available out there now um one one that I'm enrolled on called Pro 5 that's you know really good and it talks about the principles and um you know it gives you an underlying knowledge about futsal and now that's a very good course for any beginner to do. Um, and yeah, there's there's plenty of there's plenty, plenty, plenty of online content now, which I guess is an advantage of what happened with the COVID. Um, it's easier now to go online and find the course and find the knowledge. Yeah, it might not be the license that you need to coach. You'd have to do that through through the FA or through the federation. But um, yeah, there's there's definitely plenty of knowledge out there and plenty of coaches that, that are willing to talk and give up the time and plenty of videos to watch plenty of books to read so it, it's out there the knowledge is out there if you know if you're not if you're not in a position to go abroad like i did there's there's definitely now more chance to to learn online from from home so um i guess it's up to each individual coach to go out and get that experience and develop themselves you mentioned pro five uh that's a site that offers education for futsal yep in english um, as well in english. very good now you said that was for beginners yeah it's for everyone actually i'm i'm using it and learning learning a lot too so um but it is also good for beginners it's not too in-depth it's in a good language that's you know useful for for everybody um and it's it's a well-presented course so yeah it's suitable for everyone 
How did you manage to get onto the Spanish Federation courses? The Spanish ones, now it's a bit more difficult. You actually need to go and live in Spain and coach in Spain for a season before they will allow you to take their courses. And before it was quite easy to go to Spain and, um, and enroll without having done that. But yeah, now it's a bit more difficult. Even for me, I'd need to go back there for a season to do my third level. Bill, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to shoot because I've got someone waiting for me at reception. Um, he's, he's actually one of my earliest mentors. Um, he won the World Cup with Brazil in 2012. I think that was the year. Um, anyways, he's won the World Cup with Brazil. He's now a Serbia coach, so he's here in, in, in Kaunas. And I've never met him, um, but he's someone I've got, spoken to a lot over the years and he's helped me out immensely, so... Yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to have to shoot. Thank you very much for giving us your time, mate. This has been fascinating. Really, really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the World Cup. Uh, and fair play to you. You've done incredibly well. I love following your journey. And I hope that our paths will cross someday and I'll be able to pick your brain in person for real. Yeah, Do you I'm have a quick sure prediction? Will. Sorry, who, who's going to win the World Cup? Brazil. <laughs> that easy. I, I picked some dark horses, but I can't see anyone past Brazil winning it this time. Um, my dark horses were Morocco, Czech Republic, and Iran, which isn't really a dark horse, but um, maybe a new name on the trophy. Oh, well, you enjoy meeting your mate. Hopefully, you'll learn a lot from him. Once again, thank you very much for your time, and hopefully, we'll catch up soon. Good luck with um, your team and this website as well. We're going to need luck, mate. We, we will, but we'll enjoy it nonetheless. Really enjoyed speaking to Damon. Damon is a great follow on Twitter, sharing lots of resources. He's also a top bloke. Let us know if you want to be on the pod or if you have any recommendations of who should be.